everyone, and welcome to another episode of Bible Ask Live, where we answer your Bible questions here live on our weekly show. My name is Tina with my friends, Dean and Wendy. Hi, guys. How y'all Hey, Tina. Hello. Is my audio okay? No, it's actually it's dropping, right out it's dropping out again. Oh, this is why we started a little late. We've been, among other things, like food poisoning, we're also trying to debug. Sometimes when you're going live, things just don't happen the way you want them to happen. And that's how you know the show is live because, yeah. you know, it's we run into technical issues and um, things happen. But hey, we are here and we would love to hear from you. We'd love if you would drop your comment, drop a comment in the chat and let us know that you're here so we can say hi. And um, if you have any questions that you would like to have answered from the Bible, then this is the, a great chance to opt to ask and get your questions answered. Tina and I really love the on-the-fly questions. Yes. I don't think there's been anything we haven't really been able to answer. No, I'm. I, this is why I love like doing this with you guys, because there's because you guys are just so brilliant when it comes to these things. And not just are you brilliant, but like you guys, you and Tina both have such a big heart for people and like for god and you like you really understand god's love i think so much better than what most of us experienced when you know we were hearing from the church and hearing from um like tv pastors and stuff like that and it's just such a different paradigm to um well it just makes such a difference when you actually study the bible for yourself because i remember growing up having all these questions and the adults would often always say well we don't know we don't know the bible doesn't answer it the bible doesn't you know attempt to address this there's all these gaps in the bible and the more i study the more i realize the bible does have lots of the answers yeah it doesn't attempt to answer everything but really there is so much within it and if we really study it from cover to cover and compare scripture to scripture, we're going to get so many answers because God really has these huge overarching principles that can pull everything together. Yeah. But, but, you know, I think also like some, you know, some of us grew up in a world and, you know, I, if, if there's viewers out there who identify this with, identify with this, I'm happy to hear from you about it. I know for me growing up, listening to a lot of pastors on TV and sermons and stuff like that, there was like this fire and brimstone all the time to to the Bible. And for me, that really made it kind of it made it off putting. It wasn't something it wasn't a God that I really wanted to know or have a relationship with because it was it was this like scariness, this intimidation, this it was like the opposite of the character. Yeah. Of and the ir ironic thing, too, is that mm -hmm. false picture of God is what drives so many of these questions. Well, okay, if God's God of love, then mm -hmm. why hell? If God's this, why that? All these questions really come from false beliefs or misunderstandings. And, and that's where, again, that's like, exactly the truth it. simplifies it and makes everything yeah. make sense. That's exactly it. And it. But it's just been such a blessing to me to you know, learn from Tina and learn from you really going uh, breaking down a lot of those those uh false concepts and false um beliefs that are that are, are so prolific and from you know there's so many people that that teach these things because 
it somehow validates some uh, problem that they struggle with, but yep. it's completely opposite of what, what God wants. Yep, for exactly. Us. He wants us to have the solution to sin. And that solution comes from his love and recognizing. And we learn about his love from the word. It, recognizing that. Right, Tina? That. Amen. <laughs> that he loves us even in the sin, but that doesn't mean he wants us to stay there. Yeah. He wants us to overcome it. So. All right. Do we have you back and working? Oh, so I, you got to tell me again. Oh, you're oh, dipping in no, and out. Oh, it is still dropping out. It seems a little bit better, but yeah, it is cutting in and out. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to try my best and talk right into this microphone and pray. That was working. Know, is it any that, better? Is, that is working a lot better if you keep it close. All right. Stay let's above do the noise that. floor. I well, guess. thank you guys so much. Thank you guys so much for those kind words and opening us up this uh, episode. And again, to our viewers, we're so sorry for running late. Uh, we're just having quite a few technical difficulties, but we're just so grateful for each and every one of you joining us tonight. If you're new, we just want to welcome you and thank you so much for joining us if this is your first time. And if you're a returning viewer, thank you um, also so much for being a faithful follower. And if you like our content, be sure to check us out on all of our social media. We're on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. And you can check out our, our videos and our show and all these social media platforms. So be sure to like us, share us, and be sure to drop us some questions down in the comment section below. We love um, hearing from you guys, whether it's uh, questions on the fly or whether just you sharing your thoughts. So we really appreciate all of you viewers out there. Um, Jay or Wendy, do you guys want to start us off with a quick word of prayer? I think we're going to really need it tonight. Yeah, let's do it. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for fin finally getting us to the point where we can go live and to be able to discuss your word and we pray that your your power can keep the technology working that your spirit be with us bind us together in your truth and to reveal what you would like us to learn today and thank you for your wonderful messages in your bible and how you have been leading preserving us and getting us to where we are and this lord i pray in the name of your son jesus amen 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 thank you guys so much uh should we start off with our first question? Yes, let's go ahead and get that first question up. So Joseph is asking, were there black... Ooh, sorry, I'm getting stuck on the words. Were there black people inhabited Egypt when Joseph and Mary migrate? If yes, why did Yeshua re return with blonde hair and blue eyes? Excuse me, were there black Just, people inhabiting is... Egypt? Joseph, that is a very interesting question that you're asking. And um, I think, you know, when I when you look at an artist's rendition of what they think Jesus might look like, it's going to look very different to different people based on your own culture. Um, I, what Something that I remember learning, um, I went to another country. I, I went overseas as a missionary and looked at Christian literature in Asia. And when you look at um, like a Chinese Bible, you'll see that Jesus looks Chinese in a lot of, you know, Chinese literature talking about Jesus. And um, I've seen, you know, um, pictures of Jesus, you know, that where Jesus looks African-American. There's pictures of Jesus where Jesus looks like he has blonde hair, and blue eyes. You know, we don't know exactly what Jesus looked like. Um, but the Bible does tell us something that should show us, um, give us an idea of kind of his physical attributes. So I'll share with you two verses um, just to give you an idea. I, 
I don't think Jesus probably had blonde hair and blue eyes. <laughs> That's probably not true. Um, I know some, like you're saying, some artist rendition might have had blonde hair and blue eyes, but that's probably not quite accurate. And I'll show you why. Um, if you look in the book of John chapter four, uh, this is the story of um, the the woman at the well. So this is where Jesus goes into Samaria, which is a country um, where you're heading out of Israel. And basically it's these this group of people who were like, uh, the Jews at that time kind of looked down on, they felt like they were kind of like these half-breed people. They weren't really Jews, but they weren't really Gentiles. They're a mix of both, of both Jew and Gentile. And they had a different um, style of worship of God. They did believe in the Torah, which is the five first books of the Bible. They did, did believe in the God of Abraham, but they didn't have any books after that. And um, they were just kind of a unique group. Um, and again, uh, the Jews at that time who were feeling very elite, like the, you know, the, the Pharisees who tended to look down on anybody. They didn't feel it was holy as they were, uh, looked down on these people. And what's interesting is, um, when you look at this story, something very interesting happens in John chapter four and verse nine. And this is where the Samaritan woman, um, looks at Jesus. She just says, um, she looks at him and she says, Jesus basically um, comes to her at this well at noon and, you know, it's the middle of the day. Why is she at the well at noon? Well, probably because nobody's there because she had kind of a past and um, Jesus asks her for water and um, her response is um, interesting. Again, John chapter four and verse nine, let's give you background. So it says, then the woman of Samaria said unto him, how is it that you being a Jew ask me, ask me to drink? Jesus asked her for some water, um, which I'm, which I'm a woman of Samaria for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So this woman didn't know anything about Jesus. She just looked at him and said, you're a Jew. So if that's the case, then you have to think, do mo what, do, what does a typical person of Jewish descent look like? Well, probably not blue hair, <laughs> blue eyes and blonde hair, probably brown hair, brown eyes. Um, you know, skin tone can be, you know, fair to, you know, all of it. It's not really hundred percent sure. So with Jesus, you know, coming back, uh, you're saying coming back from Egypt, he was only there for two years. That's not where his nationality was from. Um, and, but he was definitely Jewish and he definitely looked like somebody who was of Jewish descent. So again, probably not the blonde hair, blue eyes. It's just an artic, artist depiction of how, what Jesus might've looked like. And also um, what the Bible does talk about Jesus as far as his appearance. I mean, I think God was wise in that he put Jesus on the earth when he didn't give us the capability to take a picture, because I think God didn't want us to be so focused on the appearance of Jesus, but rather on his message and on his life and on his purpose, which is to give us salvation. And, um, you know, just as far as Jesus's looks, um, the Bible does say something interesting about that, which is you see in the book of Isaiah, in chapter um, 53 and verse two, it says that he has no form or comeliness that we should desire him. So Jesus wasn't something, somebody beautiful to look at, not saying that Jesus was hideous, but he, I mean, I have no idea, but he, he wasn't like an object of beauty. He wasn't somebody you went, Ooh, look how beautiful he is. So, um, you know, that that's something to to be said of of Jesus's appearance. We don't know what he looked like, but we know he wasn't anything you know special or um, what have you. So, um, but really, you know, when we're talking about Jesus and um, 
what he looked like. Could he have had darker skin? Maybe, you know, could he have had fair skin? We don't know. That's not really not the point. The point is that Jesus, um, is what's on the inside, which was his blood that cleanses us from all sin. And the thing is, you know, we're all from one blood, like it says in the book of Acts chapter 17, verses 26 and 27. And I just want to close with this thought, Acts 17, um, 26 and 27. And and, um, God has made us all of one blood of all nations of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. So basically it's saying that God made everybody of one blood. We're all part of the human race. It doesn't matter what skin color you are, what your hair color is, your eye color. That doesn't matter. What matters is that we're all created from the same God and we're all part of the human family. And verse 27 says, and that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him though he be not far from every one of us. So God wants to make himself available to every person on the earth. God doesn't care what you look like. God cares about your heart. And so um, I hope that that answers your question, Joseph. And I hope and pray that um, you would focus on the life and the love of Jesus rather than worrying about any sort of physical appearance, because that really doesn't matter. Uh, What matters, again, is is the nature of your heart. Uh, Jay or Wendy, any other thoughts on that one? I think you answered it. Answered it very well. Yep, definitely. And I would just say, look at Tina and I, we're from the Mediterranean area and we're not, <laughs> or have ancestry from there. We don't have blue eyes and, and blonde hair. I'm not Mediterranean, but you are. I look like I'm Mediterranean. I, I'm pretty sure if we did a DNA test, we'll get you from the Mediterranean. <laughs> <laughs> I know, my my husband is Mediterranean, so and so they've adopted me. So by adoption, I am, but yeah. All right. That's okay. <laughs> All right, let's get our next question up. So Stephanie is asking, pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib? What do you believe and why? We're going to go on a trib. Oh, Stephanie, you are begging a question. I don't know. Uh, Jay, did you want to go into it, or do you, do you want me to answer that one? No, no, I want, I, I want to hear what you're going to say on this one. The thing is, um, you know, when you're asking, are we pre, post, or mid-trib, you're kind of assuming that you're assuming something. And that's kind of what um, I guess I want to just address really fast is that, um, you know, this this doctrine of the tribulation, um, as far as, you know, being like pre, you know, as far as in connection with the, the doctrine of the rapture. Um, I want to just share that, uh, as far as, you know, are we pre mid or post trib? The thing is, are we tribulation or do we believe in a rapture? And in a sense, yes, I believe that Jesus is coming soon. He's going to take all his people home to be with him forever. And I think that, um, everybody else that was not saved left on the earth will pass away. And that's, I think when the millennium will begin now, do I believe that there will be um, a tribulation, there'll be a time of trouble that's been, you know, not since the world has ever seen. We see that in Daniel chapter 12, verse one, you know, when Michael, the archangel will stand up. But um, I don't believe in the same kind of tribulation that a lot of people believe in um, based on a doctrine that 
I think is a, I want to say a far-fetched um, idea that people kind of contrive from the book of Daniel chapter seven, talking about the seventh week of the 70 week prophecy. Um, I don't, um, a lot, basically the idea is that there's seven years um, where there'll be, you know, all these devastations on the earth. And um, some people believe that God's people will be raptured before the seven years. And that some people that in the seven years after that, there'll be people who will be um, able to repent. And then after the seven years, then if there's any people that um, have repented, that they get to go to heaven too, at some point. And um, I don't believe that is true. I believe that um, once Jesus comes, that is it. And there's only one coming of, of Jesus. We see that in First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 uh, through the end, verse 16, 17, uh, where basically it says that those that are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him, and that um, those that remain shall be, uh, you know, be caught caught together and those that sleep in the dusty earth shall rise first and will be caught together with him. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So, um, I believe that God's people are going to live through whatever it is until the second coming of Jesus, when, um, all God's people will go to heaven at that point. And that's the only time that God's people will be raptured up into heaven or, or, you know, go to, uh, go to heaven. Um, as far as, you know, the tribulation, I get a little bit confused as to what, um, some people consist of the tribulation, but when I think of that, I think of the time of the seven last plagues that you read about in Revelation chapter 16. Um, and I do believe God's people will live through um, all the, you know, all the devastations and all the times of trouble that the Bible talks about, but I believe God's people will be spared in those times. And so I think um, just, and I think the reason why I say that is because when you look at um, the seven last plagues, there are seven of the 10 plagues that hit Egypt and God's people lived through them, but God's people were spared as they were faithful to the Lord. And I believe that it will be a testimony to the earth that God's people will see um, this happen and um, it will not come nigh near to them. And we see um, kind of a prophecy of this in the book of Psalms chapter 91, it says a thousand shall fall on thy side, 10,000 at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh to thee. Um, and there's so many other verses in this chapter that are so clearly talking about God's people in the end of time, that they will be able to um, walk through this time of trouble, this, this last time of death, uh, devastation in God's earth, and that they uh, will come out victorious. And um, those people who are, uh, you know, that meet God at the last time, that will be God's last day people, the 144,000. And these are they that keep the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus. And I think that it's very dangerous to think that one, there's going to be a time where um, you can repent after the second coming. I think that that's a very dangerous doctrine because I believe that the devil wants you to think you have more time when you don't. And I think too, um, it's also um, a dangerous doctrine to think that God will um, not let you go through uh, any time of trouble because I don't think that that's God's will. I mean, I think if you, again, look at Daniel chapter 12 and verse one, it says, um, then Michael, the archangel shall stand up and there shall be a time of trouble such as never been um, since the beginning of the earth, nor ever will there be. And when you go down to verse three, it says, um, basically talking about God's people at that time, it says, 
Um, and they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament and those that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Um, because it's talking about uh, just pre in, in verse two, excuse me, it's talking about those that will um, be risen to the resurrection of life and those to the resurrection of, of damnation. And um, I believe that that's talking about a special resurrection for those who are lost, um, that there'll be people who, those, those who crucified Christ will be able to be resurrected to see Christ coming uh, before they're destroyed. And um, I believe that God's people, as well as those that remain on the earth, those those wise that are righteous, that turn many to righteousness, those are the ones that are going to be left on the earth, caught up in the air uh, with the resurrection of the righteous that died in Christ. And those are all the people that go to heaven. And I believe that those who live through it are going to have a very special testimony. But um, no, I don't. <laughs> so I don't, I hope that answers your question. I'm sure it's probably not the, the answer you were quite expecting, but um, I do believe that God's people go through um, a time of trouble, but I don't necessarily agree with the doctrine of uh, the tribulation just because um, I think there's a little bit more to it than that. Uh, Jay or Wendy, any other thoughts on that one? Uh, I just want to add that we do have a lot of videos on on the subject. Like we talked about the rapture, we have videos on the millennium, the the whole timeline that of of Revelation. So we've covered all these things many times. So definitely go through, look at all this content. We can never do it justice in in ten minutes. So please look back at the other content or even at BibleAst.org and uh, see the great written content there too. Definitely. I was going to say, yeah. And yeah, check out our website, bibleask.org. There's lots and lots of Bible verses and Bible studies for you to check out. That will give you a lot more details than I can, like you're, like you're saying, share in just a few minutes. So thank you for that, Jay. Anytime. All right. Let's get our next question up. Oh, we got a question. It just came in live from Twitch. Does um, this channel do Bible studies? Actually, thank you for asking. <laughs> would you like to uh, announce that? Uh, yeah, so that's actually a really great question, uh, Angst Joe. <laughs> I like your your screen name. Um, so yes, we're actually looking at um, starting a Bible study that we want to do um, maybe right after our weekly live show where we uh, get people who want to study the Bible more and just um, connect with us. And so we are looking at doing Bible studies um, live after our weekly show. And I see another... Um, uh, comment. I'm trying to find someone to help me I, in my studies about the parables Jesus gave about the kingdom of heaven. Those are beautiful. That would be a really cool topic of Bible study for sure. Uh, the, the parables of Jesus are an amazing Bible study for sure. So uh, I think we'll probably have someone question now. You're more than welcome. I think we'll also we could follow up with you in in uh, in the messages in Twitch. We'll, we'll follow up with you. So thanks so much for reaching out. And yes, we'll love to study that. And maybe we can drop a message to him on how he uh, or her, whoever this is, I don't know gender here, um, on how to connect with us to uh, set that up. Best way to reach us. I will ask.org slash live. All right. Let's go ahead and get our next question. So William is asking, what is meant of the 2300 morning and nights in David 8? All right, William. I was so excited to see this question come in. So like Tina and I, probably between the two of us, we have seen 
oh, maybe, uh, oh, I'm sure between the two of us, 100 different sermons on the 2300 days. And I have only heard one that really goes into what the uh, morning and evenings are. And Tina, I'm just curious, have you you ever studied it or gotten a good answer what the morning, morning and evenings or morning and nights are? Are you talking about Daniel chapter 814, right? Yes, Daniel, okay. Daniel 814. And maybe we should put yeah, up the verse. I, little, I know, because I know he put David 8. So I think there was just a little mix up there with the name. Oh, that's um, right. As far as the morning, yeah, the morning and nights, I... I've never heard that. I just understand it to be, you know, another 2,300 days shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Like I'm just quoting the Bible verse and that's yeah. the only uh, version I know. And so obviously um, I take that to be uh, prophetic days, which, you know, is a day for a year of prophecy. So this is 2,300 days prophetically, 2,300 years, um, literally, as far as this prophecy. So this prophecy is actually a unique one. And and this one, like with, you know, within even our, our faith group, I think a lot of us miss this. And that's why I was so amazed by this one presentation I heard. So this could, could blow everybody's minds, perhaps. So uh, let's put it up. The First, let's look at the King J New King James. So as Tina said, um, Daniel 8, verse 14, it says, And he said to me, For 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed so days and cleansed let's keep those both in mind now if we're able to put up the niv i think that'll be good niv has it a little bit different it says he said to me yeah 2300 evenings and mornings then the sanctuary will be reconsecrated so now we have evenings and mornings and then reconsecrated i think the niv here did a better job it actually was followed more closely the the Hebrew when it's translated evenings and mornings. Uh, it's not yom, which normally we see for a day. It was a different word. The, the words like we see in Genesis when it says, you know, evening and the morning were the first day. That That's the wording it's using here um, in the Hebrew. But then, but then uh, NIV uses the word reconsecrated. I don't think that was as good. King James Version, I'm going to say, does a better job when it says uh, cleansed, and that word cleansed there um, is more consistent with the Greek translation of the Old Testament that Jesus had in his day. And so the 70 Jewish scholars back then decided that should be cleansed, or, or the Greek word equivalent for cleansed, uh, karthazo, like where we get karthasis from. So, and we're going to come back to that. That's why I'm talking about cleansed, because what is the significance of the 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 evenings and mornings is going to tie into this cleanse. So as, as Tina mentioned, there's this concept for a day for a year um, principle for a lot of prophecies where God will use the term days, but really if you treat those days as years, things work out just right. Like these, including this 2300, it's a very important concept, a day for a year. Um, I'm not going to go into more detail on that, but this one, there's another way that we could get to why it's a day for a year. And, and it goes back to, we're not specifically given uh, days in this prophecy. It says, it says evenings and mornings. So it's talking about a particular day and 2,300 of these particular days. What day would that be? What day would there be a particular day and it's telling us 2,300 will pass and then the sanctuary will be cleansed? 
So to understand this, we have to step back and look at this whole prophecy and look at it as a whole. So it begins on Dan in Daniel 8, verse 1. It says, the third year of the King Nebuchadnezzar, I had a vision after the one that had already appeared to me. So he already had the vision that we see in Daniel 6 and 7. Now, or, or Daniel 7, now we're looking at this one in Daniel 8. And he has see similar, similar imagery, but now instead of these different beasts, uh, he's seeing a different set of beasts. Uh, in Daniel 3, he sees a ram, which had two horns, so a ram with two horns, and then in Daniel 5, he sees now a male goat. So we've gone from seeing bears and lions and all these things to now here's a ram with horns, and here's a goat that also has a horn. And then that horn breaks, and then we get smaller horns. Rams, goats. Where do we see this imagery a lot in the Old Testament? Daniel 8 to 9, we see there's this little horn. So, yeah, Daniel 8, verse 9 says, And out of one of these came a little horn. These, uh, there were these horns that broke off from the ram. Uh, and that little horn grew exceedingly great towards the south, towards the east, toward the glorious land. And it grew up to the hosts of heaven. And it cast down some of the hosts and some of the stars to the ground and trampled them. He even exalted himself as high as the prince of the hosts. And by him, the daily... By the way, that word sacrifice was added in. It really literally just says the daily were taken away and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. His being capitalized, so God's sanctuary being cast down. Because of the transgression, an army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily and he cast truth down to the ground. He did all this and prospered. So we're, we're now seeing a horn, 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 daily, the daily, and sanctuary. Horn, daily, sanctuary, goat, ram. Where do What do these all have in common? It is the old sanctuary. It's pointing to the sanctuary practices of the Old Testament. The daily is being taken away, but there's something else, though, um, that they, ha they have in common. Uh, and the big one is that really the biggest clue that these, what these are all pointing to, Daniel 8, verse 13. Um, we don't have to guess. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the certain one who was speaking, How long will the, ver the vision be concerning the daily and the transgression of desolation, the giving of both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? So, Basically, how long is this vision going to, you know, all these events we saw taking place and all this, how long is that going to be? He said, and he said to me, for 2,300 days or the evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. When does the sanctuary get cleansed in the Old Testament? And this is why I said it was important to understand, is it cleansed versus is it reconsecrated that we're talking about? If you're looking at it as cleansed, now we're understanding that this is talking about a very special day that happened once a year for the Jews, and that was the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement is very interesting. It is the only 
one of the Jewish festivals for which we have the term evening to evening being mentioned. So let's look at Leviticus 23, 27 to 28. Leviticus 23, starting at verse 27. And it reads, Also the tenth day of this Sabbath month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy consecration for you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And you shall do no work on that same day. For it is the day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict your souls on the ninth day of the month at evening. From evening to evening, you shall celebrate your Sabbath. So, evening, evening to evening, sort of, you know, there's this 24 hour period, God's saying, that was the Day of Atonement. And now this prophecy is also saying, hey, there's this 24 hour period, and there's going to be. 2,300 of these, 2,300 days of atonements will pass by, and then the sanctuary will be cleansed. Which sanctuary would that one be? Sanctuary in heaven, and and it sends God's church on earth at the same time. It's a study for itself, too. But that is the significance of it, the evenings and mornings. And the math works out amazingly on this. If uh, As Tina mentioned, there's that seven-week prophecy or sorry, seven-year prophecy. Uh, sorry, um, 490-day prophecy. Uh, where, um, if you go down to Daniel uh, verse eight, uh, chapter 8, the angel Gabriel reappears and starts explaining the rest of this prophecy and explains that there's this chunk of 490 years that are going to be given over to the Jews. And the last week of those 490 is when the Messiah was going to show up. And the Messiah showing up begins with the baptism of Christ. And if you crunch all the numbers and all that, you find Christ was baptized then on a day of it, or around the Day of Atonement. He was 30 years old then. He probably had just turned 30. So Jesus was actually born close to Day of Atonement, not Christmas time, around Day of Atonement. And then, um, if you go six months forward from Day of Atonement, or, six, or if you do the math, whatever, the distance between, yeah, I think it, half a year, half a year from Day of Atonement uh, to when um, Passover is, six months, so you go three and a half years forward, you get to Christ's crucifixion, which is what Daniel 8 says also, says, you know, in the middle of the week, uh, Messiah will be cut off. So. So um, I hope this gives you more sense of what this is talking about. It is talking about 2,300 days of atonement, this evening to morning period that, or evening to evening period that represents that very special time of day of atonement leading to the ultimate day of atonement or period of day of atonement, which we are actually in now. But that's also a study for itself. Tina, what do you think of that? Yeah, spot on. <laughs> Good stuff. I love the I love the book of Daniel and I love this prophecy. This is like honestly probably my favorite prophecy in the entire Bible is a 2300 day prophecy because it brings into view the sanctuary, it brings into view 
um, you know, God's end day people. It, got, it brings into view the second coming, you know, and, you know, and gets you to realize where we are at in earth's history. And just to realize, you know, that they're, um, you know, that we're living in those, that last day of atonement um, and that Jesus is coming very soon. And I love, love, love this too, because it also ties into who Jesus is, his role as high priest in heaven. And you see this, you know, in the book of Hebrews chapter eight, verses one and two, or it talks about Jesus being the high priest um, in the, in the heavenly sanctuary that the Lord pitched and not man. And, you know, that he said at the, the right hand and it's his blood that atones us. And the the whole gospel story starts making sense as far as, you know, why Jesus came and died uh, on the cross because he was the lamb to, to cleanse us. And, you know, that's why we have a sanctuary so that we could, you know, go to be cleansed by the lamb. And um, it's, uh, I, there's too much, <laughs> there's so much to this. It's hard to get, you know, get into everything, but I absolutely love this study. And um, my friend, I hope that you continue to study God's word and and dig deep because there's a lot more there. It's so beautiful when you just start to understand and tie the pieces together in the Bible. But um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we are definitely in that last day of atonement and I, I just can't wait for Jesus to come. Amen. That is the best thing about these prophecies being fulfilled. Coming soon. All right, let's go ahead I and do our next question okay oh. oh we just got one we'll get our next question up here and then we'll come back to the chat how's that all right so kevin is asking if the saints are given immortality first corinthians fifteen fifty four, then why do you believe that unrighteous souls don't die but will burn in a lake of fire forever the ezekiel 18 4 and 20 you know what, Kevin, that is a fantastic question. And I hope you like our answer because I think you've, uh, <laughs> maybe you've heard what we believe, but I don't believe that souls burn in hell forever. That's not biblical. Um, when you look at the Bible, um, you're absolutely right in looking at the book of Ezekiel. I appreciate your Bible study. Um, this is a really, really important, um, thing to understand. When you look in the book of Ezekiel chapter 18, verses four and 20, it both says the soul that sins shall die. That is absolutely true. The Bible is spot on there. And there's so much, so many verses to back that up. It's just sad that there's a big um, doctrine that has been just passed down as a, like a tradition. I don't know. It's just kind of weird that uh, people who go to hell burn forever. And that's not true. It's not biblical. And that's not a, um, a, a correct view of a loving and kind God. And I don't believe it's the God of the Bible who would um, do such a thing. And I'll show you why um, I believe that from the Bible, if anybody's just going, whoa, 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 this is heresy. So hear me out. <laughs> hear me out. Look at the Bible and, and decide for yourself. Um, if you look at the book of Romans, probably one of the most famous verses, just as far as salvation goes, Romans chapter six, verse 23, it says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So what it's saying is that if you sin, if you continue in sin, you don't want to give up your sin. You're, what's going to ultimately happen is you're going to die and not just die once here on this earth, like everybody dies, but die eternally um, because the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So if we accept Christ, then the gift is eternal life. It's not eternal life in heaven or eternal life in hell, that's not what the Bible says. It says uh, the wages of sin is death or the other option is eternal life with Jesus Christ. 
And that is what the Bible is very clear about. And um, some people might say, well, the Bible says, you know, um, you know, I've read in Revelation, it says that the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, but it doesn't say that people burn forever and ever. It never, ever says that in the Bible. And um, if you look at something very interesting as far as eternal fire, uh, what that means is a fire that burns, um, the result of that fire is eternal. And you see that the most clear in the book of Jude, chapter one, verse seven, talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, it says that basically they are burned up with eternal fire. Now, is Sodom and Gomorrah still burning today? No, it's burnt up. It's done. It's eternally gone. And so the results of sin is an eternal burnt up state, and then you're dead forever, eternally. Um, Revelation chapter 20, verse six talks about the second death, and it says um, in verse in verse 14, that the second death, that the second death or death itself is thrown into the lake of fire. So basically death is going to go away and that's, which makes perfect sense. Once everybody is, is dead, that should, should die. Even death is going to go away in heaven. It's not people burning forever and ever. That wouldn't be heaven at all. Um, and what's really cool is, um, also, I mean, there's so many other verses that talk about, um, you know, the state of the wicked. Uh, you look at Psalms chapter 37, verse 20, it says the wicked shall consume, they shall consume away. They're just going to, you know, burn up and that's it. Um, you look also in the book of Obadiah in the old Testament in chapter one, verse 16, it says, you know, talking about the wicked, they shall be as though they've never been. So, I mean, basically, you know, they'll be destroyed and it's like they never existed because they're never going to come back from a state of death and being destroyed. And so, um, I, I appreciate your question, Kevin. I, I pray that you continue to study God's word and I, I a hundred percent agree with you. The soul that sin, it shall die. It will. And I just pray that you give your heart to the Lord and you stay close to him and, um, you know, keep your walk right with him so that you can have eternal life and choose, um, eternal life with Jesus, um, in perfect paradise and perfect peace. Uh, Jay or Wendy, any other thoughts on that one? Yeah, I just want to say this question really illustrates well, so well, how when you study the Bible for yourself, you end up reaching a different result, different conclusion than what's taught by most people, most religions. And actually, we have a comment spot on to that, too, by Kyle from Twitch. I'd like to put that up. <laughs> it gives a little warning there. And so Kyle's saying, be careful. Reading the Bible in depth leads to a deviation from Christianity religion for most people. We all believed in the tooth fairy and Santa Claus at one point. Then most came to their senses using logic and critical thinking to have that, oh, revelation. Yeah, and it is so true. Like, if you really study the Bible, and people ask all the time, right, like, why are there so many different denominations, so many different religions? And it really comes down to it because most really are not sticking to the Bible, what the Bible really says, making the Bible the foremost authority in their lives. And so, like, for here, us on Bible Ask, like, you say it's the Bible, and the Bible first and foremost, that is a foundation. We believe that before anything else. And that's where you could build a, on a solid foundation, your faith. Yeah, a lot of people Amen. think that a lot, of, a lot of the stories in the Bible are just fairy tales, but that's not true. But there are fairy tales that have been written off of concepts in the Bible, off of stories in the Bible. But those are not the Bible. Or the those other problem, too. Tales. The other big problem, too, is so many of the beliefs we have now in Christianity, uh, mainstream Christianity, actually come from fairy tales. They come from pagan myths. And then we go back and reinterpret the Bible from the lens of these pagan myths and not from the 
from the, the the mindset and background perspective of the original Hebrew and Jewish writers and their audiences. Yeah, and from the character of God as revealed to us in Christ. Like if that's not central to our and foundational to our understanding, to our interpretation of scripture, then we're probably missing what scripture is actually saying. But if Christ's character is what we are looking at and what we are studying the whole word of God through, it makes a, a completely different perspective on what the scripture is saying. Mm-hmm. Or at least, at least you use that as a check to make sure you're properly understanding it and interpreting it. Yeah. And if things aren't jiving, then, okay, that means you need to go back and study and figure out what, what you have wrong. Yeah. Amen. And I don't know, I, this, pop, this idea just popped in my head. You know, God's word says, basically, um, an illustration God gives for his word is bread. And the thing is, you have to eat bread for yourself. When you try to eat someone else's chewed up food, it's usually not very good. You need to eat that bread for yourself, partake of God's word for yourself. And I I totally agree. You're going to end up probably deviating from mainstream Christianity because, um, you know, Jesus predicted this, uh, that, you know, that there would be mainstream Christianity. And it's not true, like that there's going to be a lot of offshoots and weird things and weird doctrines. And those are just signs of Jesus' second coming. And it's, you know, people will love a lie. It says that people will want to hear lies, even, you know, people who think and believe that they're saved when they're not. And that's a really mm-hmm. common thing. And and again, Jesus warned about it. If you read it in his word, you'll know, oh, okay, this makes sense. This is something God predicted because he knew the future. And it just can give you assurance in God's word and make you closer to God's word and find a more trustworthy source rather than just listening to the opinions of people. Amen. That is such a great point. I think we do have time for one more question or? All right, let's do one more question. So Wes is asking, what verses tell us God is alive and will always be alive? Wes, I like that question. That's an interesting one. Um, And definitely important one in the Bible. Uh, 30 times, at least, if you just type in living God and put in quote marks and search that in the New King James Version, you get 30 results for living God, referring to how God is the living God. For example, Matthew 16, 13 to 16, talks about how, you know, Jesus came to Caesarea, um, and then he asked his disciples, you know, who do men say that I am, the son of who did they say the son of man is and so uh the disciples said you know some say john the baptist some elijah some jeremiah or others the prophets and then jesus said to them but who do you say i am so jesus asking the disciples who am i who do you think i am and simon peter answered and said you are the christ the son of the living god the living God. I mean, that was an important thing. And then Jesus later on says, good for you. This Holy Spirit put those words in your mouth, Peter. And if you go to Matthew 26, um, we see Jesus being tried and he's not speaking. And the priest, the high priest, adjures Jesus, basically puts him under oath. Um, and it, it, this way it says in verse 63, but Jesus kept silent, and the high priest answered him and said, I put you under oath by the living God. 
tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. You know, so the living God was a big important concept to them. And and why? I mean, one reason is especially back then, lots of pagans, they're surrounded by Romans and Greeks and uh Egyptians, all these people who would have worshipped fake gods and idolatry. And the big thing about Jehovah was he is the real true God. But let's talk about talk about more about that. Um, remember in Exodus 3, where Moses is speaking with God at the burning bush, and Moses says, like, you know, who are you? How does God respond? It says, and God said to Moses, this is verse 14 of Exodus 3, it says, I am who I am. That's who he is. He says, and then God says, you know, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am is sent me to you. <laughs> Who are you, God? What are you? I am. Like, so he always was, he is, and he will always be. He's like the self-existing one. I mean, that's kind of the just, just here. He just, he is. He can't, you can't stop him from being. He always is and was and, and just transcends time. And that's kind of this feeling we get when we look at John 1, 1 to 4, when it talks about in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I mean, there's just, there's God. Just in the beginning, there's God. And some talk about, you know, is John 1, 1 really talking about Genesis? Or is it talking about even like the beginning of the beginning before there was even anything created? Because as it says, um, you know, he was in the beginning with God, the Word, Jesus. All things were made through him, and without him was was made, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. I mean, so even life itself, I mean, is God alive? Well, the Bible goes one step further, it says God is life itself. God is the source of all life. Uh, John 11, uh, 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So life is in God. That's what makes God God. First uh, Timothy 1, 17. Now we're getting to, okay, well, how long does God live? Paul writes, now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the God who alone is wise. And, and Paul again uses these similar words later on in this same book uh, or letter of Timothy. 1 Timothy 6, verses 15 to 16. Um, he talks about the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who alone has immortality. And this verse is so important. Like We humans do not possess immortality in, in of ourselves. If we die, we don't become a spirit that floats around and you can't kill us. Uh, no, we can. God can totally destroy us if he wanted. If he wanted. Or just cutting us off from himself, you know, could lead to, lead to that. Because we don't have it in of ourselves. Revelation 21, 6. Um, here's another way of how God talks about how he's sort of always was and is. And he said to me, it is done. I am. Oh, we're, the I am? I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. This is how Jesus is referring to himself. So he's the beginning and the end, 
alpha and omega, like the, the, the letter A, and now we have a different alphabet for us to be the letter Z. He would say, I'm the letter A and Z. Uh, Isaiah uses similar language. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Beside me, there is no God. There's, the Bible doesn't say there's no gods, but there's no God beside God. Nobody is equal. I mean, the, the angels are powerful beings. Uh, the Bible always tells you, like, don't underestimate them either. But next to God, there's still nothing. And God is still the source of their life. And if you read Psalm, uh, the Psalms, there's so many interesting things about God's ever, how everlasting God is. Uh, Psalm 90, verse 2, Before the mountains were brought forth, or you have formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Psalm 93, verse 2, it says, You are... Your throne was established long ago, and you are from all eternity. And then it goes to verse 5. It says, Your statutes, O Lord, stand firm. Holiness adorns your house for endless days. And uh, if you look at Hebrews, I'm not going to read it, but Hebrews 7, especially uh, starting at verse 21, it's talking about Jesus, how he's our high priest, and he's better than any of the previous high priests, because Jesus will never die again. He is immortal. He will live forever. Um, and it ends in verse 28, For the law points as a high priest, men who have weaknesses, but the word of the oath, which came after the law, points the son who has been perfected forever. Christ will be now forever the high priest. He... But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. That's also verse 24. Almost done here, Daniel 7, verse 14. It says, To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Isaiah 57, verse 15, it says, For thus the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. I mean, this is a good way, I think, trying to explain Jesus doesn't even exist in our realm. He inhabits, inhabits eternity, he inhabits infinity, and inhabits a dimension that is not constrained in any sense like we are says, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revise, revive the spirit of the humble, to revise, revive the heart of the contrite ones. I, I love that verse. I just got so, so contrasted. I'm way up here. And I care about the really humble people who are like way down there. <laughs> That's a great contrast. And I want to end with this one. To me, this is one of my favorite illusions allusions or uh, descriptions of, of God's infiniteness, never-endingness, but yet his compassion. Deuteronomy 33, 27, it says, The eternal God, the eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. He will thrust out the enemy before you. 
I just love that this concept of, you know, the everlasting arms. I think elsewhere, uh, Moses says, lean on the everlasting arms. And, you know, one image I have is, you know, these arms are just always out there reaching, you know, trying to grab us, pull us, hug us. And then you could also think of maybe those everlasting arms that were stretched out on that cross and didn't give up and, and held them there till uh, he fulfilled his purpose of, of dying on the cross, paying for sin, condemning sin in the flesh, and yet rising again. And the Bible is very interesting. It's not, I, this is where it's really hard to wrap our hands around because it's just the Father, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus in of himself all contributed to Christ's resurrection. And even like life himself, life provided itself to him because he said he would rise again. And that might have been enough even to be raised again. Because he's, he is life. God is so alive. He wants to give us that life abundant, that eternal life too. And, and I'm just so grateful again that, that that is who God is. That's what he is. And, and he wants to let us partake in, in eternity with him. That is his goal. He's so long-suffering that none should perish, but all find everlasting life in him. All right. Anybody else? Other thoughts? Amen. <laughs> uh, I think that really covered it because, uh, yeah, I think you pulled every verse I would have pulled too. Okay. Yay. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Now, I think we have a question that was shared with us from our friend, Angst Joe. Um, I don't know if we can get that up. I know uh, we're kind of out of time, but I, I wouldn't mind um, answering one last question. Wendy, would you mind reading that? Yeah. Okay. So the question here is, in the, in the parables Jesus gave about the kingdom of heaven, over and over, he, he begins with the kingdom of heaven is like, and then gives an analogy whereby we can learn learn about the kingdom, allowing us to draw from our own experience of the world around us, parallels and glimpse what the kingdom is like. Next part. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which is among the smallest of seeds, but when grown becomes a large tree and birds come and nest in its branches. Leaven, which a woman hid in, the, in three measures of meal till all was leavened, a field in which a man sowed good seed and an enemy came along and sowed tares and the man allowed those tares to grow alongside the good seed until the harvest time, at which point those tares would be destroyed in the fire. A treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid and for joy over that treasure goes and sells everything he has to buy that field. A merchant seeking goodly pearls who when he found one of great price, went and sold all he had and bought it. A dragnet cast into the sea that gathered some of every kind, and when it was full, was drawn to shore, and men sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw away the bad. Next slide. There are many more examples to give, but this question is already getting pretty long, so I'll sum it up here and ask. So I like where it's going. How are all of these parables talking about the same thing? They're all about the kingdom of heaven and what it's like, but how is that so? How can something that is like a mustard seed and that starts small and grows into a large tree also be like a dragnet cast into the sea and also be like a field full of wheat and tares, etc.? 
I love this question. Yeah. Great question. Uh, did you want to go answer it or would you mind if I did the honors? Do the honors. You sure? Okay. So um, to my friend, uh, Angst Joe, I, I love this question. I think, you know, that's very, very valid. Um, and I think that the Bible kind of answers it. I think Jesus answers it when he's in the middle of talking about his parables in um, Matthew chapter 13. Um, after he gives um, the parable of the, um, you know, the seeds that fell among thorns in stony places. And Jesus says something very interesting um, here in verse uh, 13 or verse 12. I'll go ahead and start there. Matthew 13, verse 12. Um, or excuse me, the disciples asked him after this in verse 10. So also there, sorry, Matthew 13, 10, it says, and the disciples came and said unto him, why speakest thou unto them in parables? Why do you speak to the people in parables? Um, so even his disciples didn't understand. And Jesus answers and says um, to them, because it's given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them is it is not given. Um, for whosoever has to him, it shall be given and to who has abundance, but whoever doesn't have um, what little he has shall be taken from him. Therefore, that's why I speak to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And this was, again, prophesied in the book of Isaiah, um, like he, Jesus says in, in, in verse 14. And what Jesus is getting at here, what I understand Jesus to mean by this um, by these verses is that Jesus is saying, look, I speak in parables so that those who have a spiritual ear who are listening by the spirit of God are going to be able to understand what I'm saying. And that those that maybe don't have a spiritual ear who really don't care about spiritual things are just going to hear it and go like, whatever, they're not going to get it. It's not going to, it's not going to affect them. They're not going to uh, be able to have that richness, that fullness um, that you see in understanding these truths of the Bible and of the mysteries of the God's kingdom. And what's, I think, again, Jesus says later on in the chapter, um, I think something that is very key to this um, in verse 34, um, Jesus says, and all these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables and without a parable, he spake unto them because Jesus knew that within the crowd of people, everybody that was going to hear, some people were actually interested in Jesus as the Messiah that actually wanted to know God, that actually wanted to have a relationship with God. And then there was people like the Pharisees that just wanted to hear, you know, something interesting and just have something to talk about and criticize and, you know, puff up themselves. They really didn't want to know God. They wanted to just live for themselves. And Jesus talks about things in, in a mystery so that only those that, um, you know, really have an ear to hear that really want to listen to what God is having to say to them is going to be able to understand these things. Um, and again, Jesus says in verse 35, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, I will open my mouth in parables and other, other things that have been, have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. So basically these are just special truths that God is trying to reveal about himself, about his kingdom that he's never revealed before until Jesus Christ, the son of God, the Messiah came into the earth. And all of these different parables that you're reading about, the mustard seed, some of them have similar similar principles, I do believe, um, like the mustard seed, um, you know, that it is the smallest seed, but it grows into the biggest um, tree. And it's just, you know, an, it's an aspect of God's kingdom. And there's multiple aspects to God's kingdom, which is why there's different parables that have some different meanings. Um, but in essence, they're all talking about God's kingdom because they're all kind of talking about an aspect, I believe, of God's 
character as well, who God is and what his kingdom is actually about. Because when people were looking for the Messiah, when they were looking to Jesus or to uh, in hopes of the Messiah, they didn't. A lot of them didn't, didn't believe it was Jesus because Jesus didn't appear in the way that they thought Jesus should. And I think this is really key because so many of them were looking for, you know, a coming king, like a triumphant military leader to destroy the Romans that were oppressing them. But what Jesus was was like, no, 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 my kingdom's not like that. My kingdom's not like this earth where I have a really big army and I can destroy people and you know I'm just going to take over. That's not what my kingdom is about. My kingdom, my character is about love. It's about peace. It's about doing good. It's about kindness. It's about being genuine and all these different aspects about who God really is and what his kingdom, what his mission is all about and why Jesus came, which is not just to, you know, go out and, um, you know, try to force people to, to a religion. No, no, no. Jesus was trying to convert people from the heart and he was trying to sow his good seed in heart that was you know, uh, ready to receive it and to give salvation to those that actually wanted a relationship with God. And that's why I think it's so important why, how we understand who Jesus is and who God is. And that's why I believe Jesus said in John chapter 17, three, that this is life eternal. This is eternal life, that they would know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. And we know that Jesus and his father are one. And so when we understand Jesus, we understand the father. And so Basically, our understanding of God is seen in our understanding of Jesus. And Jesus is trying to reveal in these parables some aspect of who he is, what he's about, what his mission is about. And, you know, the whole purpose is, you know, for us going to heaven one day, you know, what that actually is going to be like. It's not going to, heaven isn't, I think uh, we've said this many times before, we're, we're going to get to heaven and we're going to be surprised who's there and maybe who's not there. Because I do believe there'll be people who, um, you know, will think will be there because they seem so religious, but really on the inside, their heart wasn't right with God. And um, I think a lot of these parables are talking about like the sower of the seed, you know, some fell up, um, among good seed where, you know, God's word was able to grow and, and be nourished because they took care of the seed. They took care of God's word. They, they built that relationship with God. Um, you know, same thing with the mustard seed that it grew into some, something great, you know, God's little, um, gift to, you know, his gift to the word, his, his word that he gives to the world um, will grow and flourish if it's fostered the right way. And um, it'll be more powerful and more beautiful than anything the world has ever seen if we can um, cherish God's word in the right way. And um, again, I just think that there's so many aspects to God and his character that we see in every different parable, um, because the whole purpose, the kingdom of heaven is like, it's just different aspects of the beautiful picture of who God is. Um, and again, like I'm saying, his character, just like a, a diamond has many, many facets and twinkles in different ways. Uh, so is, you know, God's word and his character that you see in different aspects of the, the ministry and the parables of Jesus. So um, that would be my answer. I hope that helps you and I hope that blesses you. And I pray that you continue to study in God's word. Um, Jay or Wendy, any other thoughts on that? Yeah. And, and, and I think that was uh... To me, the heart of it is is what you're saying, where there's just so many facets to to what makes the kingdom of heaven and God, God, and all these things that, you know, we have that parable of the three of the five blind men and elephant, right? Where you know, one's touching the trunk, one's touching the leg, one's touching the back, one's touching the tail, and each one is you know seeing something different. So one just says, you know, I feel this big, thick, muscular, tubular thing, 
Um, another one says, I feel this big, giant, round, sturdy. Another one, I feel this small, little floppy thing. I mean, or one's touching an ear, too. Like, I feel really flappy, thin thing. Are they inconsistent? Are they wrong? Or, or are they each sensing and perceiving a different part of the elephant? And that's what Christ is doing here with all these different parables. He says, you know, I could spend forever probably telling you about heaven. It's beyond your comprehension, but I'm going to give you little uh, visuals that will help you understand certain elements of it that I think are important. And, and as we have, you know, 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says, Eyes not seen, nor ear heard, nor has, have entered into the heart of men the things which God has prepared for those who love him. You know, so we have not visually seen any of these things or heard any of these things. But if you go to the next verse, 1 Corinthians 2.10 says, But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. The Spirit is critical to, to help us understand then and pull it all together. As the uh, same writer Paul says, 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says, But the natural man does not receive the things of, of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to, to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Spiritual things must be spiritually discerned. And the same Holy Spirit that inspired the writers to write the Bible has to also inspire us with proper interpretation. And this is going to be a critical component um, as you and anybody goes and studies the Bible is don't study the Bible alone. You need the Holy Spirit with you to interpret it, to pull it together, and you're going to start getting insights. God will have Bible studies for you. He'll take you on an amazing journey if you let him guide you and answer you through the process. That Amen. to me is... <laughs> <laughs> pulls it all together. Amen. And I just want to, um, <laughs> God is good. Um, I know we had a few more questions that we got from our, our live um, website. And so um, I, I apologize. We ran out of time tonight, but I pray that you'll come back next week and be able to hear the answers for the other questions. If, um, if you're one of our viewers that submitted them. And if you have a question that you'd like formally asked on our or answered on our show, go ahead and go to our website, bibleask.org forward slash live. We'd love to hear from you. And, and um, we'd love to have uh, give your uh, feature your question live on our show next week and, and give it the proper attention it deserves. And we just want to remind everybody that we're on Facebook, tw uh, Twitch, and YouTube. So please check out our content. Please like and share us. We appreciate that. Uh, we here at Bible Ask, um, we're volunteers and we just uh, want to share God's word. And uh, we just pray that we can be a blessing to you and you can share it with others in order to spread God's message of love and um, of his beautiful scripture uh, with your friends and family. And so we just want to, again, remind you that we'll be back again Friday, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And we hope to see you guys then. Uh, uh, Jay or Wendy, will you please bless us with a quick word of prayer before we close? Heavenly Father, thank you again for this day, for uh, this time to gather together. Thank you for everybody who joined us for the amazing questions and comments. Pray you bless every single person here watching or who watch with your spirit to give discernment, to open up your word to them, and for even us here to continue to reveal your truth. Let only your truth be preached, Lord, and heard and received, and that we may all enter into your amazing beyond our comprehension, 
kingdom, Lord. This we pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, everybody. Hope to see you again next week at 6 p.m. on Friday. God bless you and take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you.